0: The reading this evening is taken from Genesis, chapter 37, Joseph's dreams. Jacob lived in the land where his father had strayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word of him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had, were you binding sheaves of corn out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us, will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more, because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this, this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, "'As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. "'Come, I am going to send you to them.' "'Very well,' he replied. "'So he said to him, "'Go and see if all is well with your brothers.' and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. <clears throat> "'Here comes that dreamer,' they said to each other. "'Come now, let's tell him and throw him into one of the cisterns "'and say that a ferocious animal defiled him. "'Then we'll see what comes of his dreams.' When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The system was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishma- Ishmaelites coming from Gilad. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Duda said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother and our flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the midnight merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph had surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes put on the sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much for reading, Francis. And Very good evening to you all. Um, Very good to see you. If we haven't met, um, good to see you. My name's Chris, and uh, we're going to be looking at this chapter of the Bible together. Uh, So um, let's pray for God's help as we do that. Um, Heavenly Father, our prayer is that... um, You would open our eyes to your hidden hand, to understand our world, and to trust in your goodness throughout, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, um, uh, a new sermon series in uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, if you didn't know that, and we're looking at these last uh, 13, 14 uh, chapters in that first book. Um, and I mean, do you know the musical, Joseph and the technic- Amazing technically It's so long, I can't even say it. Um, has anyone seen it? I think I saw it a long time ago. It's very jolly, very colourful, family day out. Oh, you know, all these kind of funny stories. This is not like that. This is not like that. Is very different to how the story really is in Genesis This is not a family fun day out. This is a grim reality in these pages. This is grim and uh, very real to life, the grimness of life. I mean, um, the subject really of the series as a whole, which we'll see time and time again, really, is that how to trust God's good purposes in the grim reality of life. If you uh, put it down to a sentence, how to trust God's good purposes in the grim reality of life. And I think back to a conversation uh, a while back with uh, a lady who uh, was having a really tough time. And um, she was kind of her early 20s and had effectively been kicked out of home. Uh, Family relationships had fallen apart and found her way into London and then had a relationship there. And that relationship went very bad as well, very sour and violent, actually. And at the point I was talking to her, she was scared even to go to the shops in case she bumped into this person. That's grim. And the badness of the world really affects us, and some particularly so. How do you trust God's good purposes in that kind of reality? And uh, what we're going to see in general, um, just don't like saying too many big Bible words as it were, but we're going to be thinking quite a lot about God's providence. Providence, now what on earth does that mean? Um, Again, just to sum that up really, uh, providence is a word that means um, that God is ultimately always in control and always at work through people and circumstances to bring about his good purposes. He is always in control and is at work, in people and circumstances for his good purposes. And we're gonna, this is a big subject to think through. And it might sound quite wishy washy and a bit kind of theoretical, uh, but no. God's providence is life changing, absolutely life changing. Think about it this way um, Why do we take swimming lessons? I hated swimming lessons. I wasn't very good. When you had to put your pajamas on and do the treading water thing, I was awful. Um, why do you take swimming lessons? Because one day you're going to be in deep water. And you need to know will I be able to cope when that happens? And that's similar it's for us. It's like we need to learn how to face confusing and difficult circumstances. Or well, when they come, we're going to be crippled with, with, with doubt and, and, and bitterness. And I realized just kind of looking out on us tonight, of course, there are many who are in that kind of grim reality right at the moment. Sin and suffering, and it's hard. You've got to, got to be able to know, can you trust God's good purposes even in that? Because if, the thing is, when you, what you believe about the universe actually makes a huge, huge difference to how you cope when life is grim. Makes a massive difference. So um, just to contrast kind of the Bible's view of, of uh, God's good purposes continue throughout everything, um, Three other views of the universe would be this, and one would be, uh, the word is deism, but uh, the view that uh, God made the world, like he made, like someone making a clock, but then leaves the clock on the shelf and walks away and doesn't stay involved, completely absent, just lets it run. Uh, another view would be um, kind of fatalism, so any good or bad, it's written in the stars, it's just fate, you can't escape it, that would be a different view. Or the other view would be chance, just luck, good luck, bad luck, nothing's written in the stars whatsoever, just good or bad luck. Whether you believe one of those views, that's really going to affect how on earth you respond when life is grim. Do you see? Is it luck? Is it chance? Is it fate? Massive difference what you believe about the universe. If you believe that any of those worldviews, really you'll You're believing that there is no good purpose I can depend on at all. So your options there I think are wishful thinking or despair and neither of those is very good. So this is really important what we're thinking about Um, and before we kind of dive into the passage really um, a few just briefly uh, a couple of helpful principles I think for understanding in the Old Testament as we read it through. Uh, One is that um, when you have a story it describes lots of things but it doesn't mean that it prescribes what it's saying. You know, when it's kind of um, um, narrating something, doesn't necessarily mean that's a good example. It, you know, it's about learning from it and not just copying it. That's one principle. In is that uh, these stories, they're kind of, you could read them in an isolated fashion, but you've got to read them in context. What else is going on in the book of the Bible, where it is in the Bible, all that kind of thing. And I'll try and help with that tonight. And some of the key lessons we see overall in Joseph in this story, well, here's one, is that God is, God is shockingly honest with us about the brutal reality of life and that he is working, working that. He's, he's honest about that, the grim reality. Like, there is murder, attempted murder, as we see tonight. Next week, there's sexual violence. This is grim, and God is honest about those things. Another thing is that um, God is not just a God of the extraordinary, but a God of the ordinary. Because in these chapters of Genesis, apart from the dreams, um, there are no miracles. It's ordinary things, the natural order of things. And God is at work in those, in the ordinary things, as well as the extraordinary. And really, in all this, in sin and suffering, here we see that God hes more about, he's more about transforming us than transporting us, you could say. He's more interested in transforming our hearts rather than just kind of, you know, airlifting us out of a situation and we see that time and time again he transforms us as we go through difficult things so how to trust god in that in the grim reality of life a bit of a kind of a long introduction i realise, but i hope that's helpful just to kind of um put a few pegs in the ground as we begin this series we've got to face up to what the world is like the world the world is a web of sin we see that tonight really clearly and we have to face up to that but the bible helps us get through and to understand the world Um, so uh, let's have a look at the passage uh, together Enough of an introduction, really. Um, We'll look at it in three parts, really. Uh, The first part is this. I've headed it this way. Um, First of all, you've got to know the pattern of sin to get through. You've got to know the pattern of sin, that it spirals down generations. Um, So... Uh, notice the different characters in this story. So we've got uh, Jacob, he's also known as Israel, he's the father in the story, and he's the grandson of Abraham, Genesis 12, if you know that. God promised Abraham that He would blessed the world through uh, Abraham. Uh, Jacob is the grandson of him, and he's got lots of these sons, Joseph and the others, and their shepherds, and those are the different characters. But notice how sin and evil and wrong spirals in this story. So it starts off with a bad report Joseph gives about his brothers. But then very quickly, it's hatred, 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 three times there. They loathe his very presence and then they plot to kill him. Sin spirals, gets worse, makes it worse. But notice, and this is a bit more hidden, that sin well has spiraled down generations, actually. So... Verse 2 says, This is the account of Jacob's family line. Um, There have been several of those markers since Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. And since then, sin has been spiraling and spiraling. And we see it here really clearly in um, Jacob's favoritism. He has a favorite. So, verse 3 their father Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other brothers. He has a favorite. And there's a particular reason about that, Joseph being the son of uh, Jacob's first love. But he's he's a favorite. And the interesting thing is that favoritism and anger among brothers, that has spiraled down through Jacob's family for generations. So Jacob's dad, Isaac, loved uh, his brother Esau more than Jacob. And similar for Jacob's mom, Rebecca loved the other Jacob more than his brother Esau. There's all this favouritism has been going on for years, and hatred among the brothers because of that. So you see, it's been spiralling, spiralling, spiralling. This is not coming out of the blue here. Um, things are, uh, two things add fuel to the fire. Uh, there's this ornate robe. The robe. Of course, we would come to that, wouldn't we? Um, Yes, the meaning of that word is uncertain, but not an amazing technicolor thing. It's more likely uh, long sleeves, down to the ankles, down, down to, the, uh, to the wrists, that kind of thing. Sorry to burst that bubble. Um, but it's an all-night roy, But his point was, he was given to it. He was given it to him uh, as his favorite. None of the other brothers got that. And then you have Joseph's dreams. Joseph has these dreams that he's going to be top dog one day, of his brothers kind of bowing down to him and his family. All this adds fuel to the fire of the favoritism. Now Joseph didn't actually have to tell his brothers about the dreams, but he kind of shares that quite pompously, and you do get the feeling he's quite a spoiled brat. Yeah, he's quite happy about these dreams. But you see, the family patterns of sin just fuel their own sin, and that's not to excuse, when we do wrong. But it is to understand it. These patterns come down through generations. I've been thinking about that a little bit for myself uh, with um, over the past year, just trying to kind of understand um, sin and struggles in my life and what contributes to it, really. And uh, I know that I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I hate conflict. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, I've been reflecting that some of the things that have impacted me probably down the generations. I know that my great-grandfather was killed in the First World War, and that, was, that was just destroyed the family. And the family left behind just really withdrew. And I think I've seen that trickling through down the generations in my family a bit. And I think that is, helps understand me more than I have before. And, you know, I just hate conflict and I just love to withdraw and I kind of say, I know that for myself. And so these patterns of sin, they go deep. And that's the grim reality of, world, of the world that we live in. We can't ignore that. And I realize for others of us today, we might be very aware of that kind of pattern trickling down into our lives probably far harsher than what I've described, but, you know, patterns of people being cut off in families, rejected or smothered or or pressured, and that can trickle down, can't it? And the Bible says, yeah, to trust God, don't ignore that, observe it, and you can have hope in that. But you've got to know this is the way the sin works, there's a pattern of it. So that's the first thing, really, As the story kind of begins, you've got to know the pattern of sin as it spirals down generations. And this sets the scene, really. Uh, The next point would be, uh, you've got to know the big picture of sin. The big picture of sin is that it tries to strangle God's plans, So that's what we see here. Well, what we see in this description is that you have a brutal attack on Joseph, the person at the center of God's plans. Uh, Joseph has these dreams. He's he's going to be the key figure for God's plans to uh, save uh, humanity, are going to come in some way via him. And and then what happens is we've seen uh, that... He's sent out to look, on the, look out on the brothers and the brothers see him coming and they think, yeah, this dreamer, this is the chance to kill this dreamer. We hate him. And you've got to notice, maybe you noticed it reading it through, their brutality of the brothers, uh, brutal. So verse 18 says, They saw him come at a distance and before he reached them, They plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Brutal. To kill your own brother? Uh, Reuben convinces them just to kind of throw him in a cistern. Uh, It's still quite brutal, really. And then they, you know, verse 25, they sit down to eat their meal. And Joseph's cries are probably... They probably hear them. They're just casually having some food. And Joseph is sold off as a slave as these um, traders come past. So, like, okay, well, let's, let, let, let's go about it that way then. But notice one thing to pick up is that for all the brothers here, I think we see something of their, their sin, their kind of. There's sheer insecurity, I think, in in all sorts of different ways. So most of the brothers, they're just plain jealous. They hate Joseph uh, because it reminds them that their father doesn't love them as much. Um, So they're insecure in that way. Uh, Reuben, uh, he tries to save Joseph. Is that because of love or is it because he's failed his father in the past and wants to be seen to do his duty again, perhaps? Judah, he steps in at one point, but he seems most concerned to save his own conscience. So he says, kind of, like, if we sell Joseph to these merchants as a slave, well, we won't have murdered him. Technically, we won't be guilty of bloodshedding. You know, he's just trying to save his conscience. Like I've, I've been more realistic. I've done the right thing. Kinda. I mean, that's that's twisted, isn't it? And the thing is, it feels like at this point that it's a pivotal moment in the big picture of God's plan. Because at this point, Joseph's dreams about him rising to a position of leadership in some way, those don't look like they're going to happen at all. Because he was almost killed, he's now been sold as a slave. So it looks like God's plans to use Joseph—they've just been sunk. That's what it looks like. And that big picture reminds us something of really: the heart of sin, really, is that sin. Sin is an attitude of the heart that actually wants to attack God. It's sin is an attitude of the heart that says, "I, I get to sides." what is good and evil for me, You know about my plans and my purposes and my pleasure. Or when we harm someone, actually that's an attack on God in the sense of um, God is their creator, made in his image. So that's harm people, that's attacking him really. And behind all that is the evil one, the deceiver, Uh, Satan. The Bible talks about who is behind all evil in a, in a big way, and trying to derail God's plans to save humanity. Behind every act of sin, the evil one is behind that. It doesn't take away our responsibility. You see, there's a, there's, a, there's a cosmic battle, as it were, going on in all sin. It's trying to derail God's plans. And if you know, um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, uh, talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities, essentially against the evil spirits. That's the cosmic battle going on, and that's throughout the Bible. That is the big picture of sin. Uh, Now you might think, I mean, okay, uh, how does that help us? Does that help me? In the grim reality of sin, really? Well, let me suggest a couple of things. One is that when we suffer sin you know from someone else against us it is important to remember that as well as being an attack on us it is also and even more even more so an attack on god actually and that can help us to some degree to recover from that and even to forgive actually god's ultimately the person being attacked even more than i am that kind of big picture of sin uh, what about when, when we sin? And you know, maybe as we were confessing earlier, we were thinking of things we've got badly wrong and we really regret over the past week how we've treated someone. No, awful words we've used or behind someone's back or something. Well, this big picture of sin, it does kind of remind us, help, help us realize what we're doing. We are attacking our Creator. And, and it might feel acceptable, just that our little sin just hurts someone. But if you think about it as an attack on your Creator... Oh, well, there's no escaping how, how awful that is. And then that helps us to deal with it. Because if our sin is against our Creator, well, actually, we can go to our Creator for forgiveness. Go to the top. And that's what you see and a lot in Scripture, like Psalm 51, if you know it, King davids He's uh, murdered someone and took another man's wife. But he says, against you, Lord, I have sinned. Against you. And then actually... You can go to God for forgiveness through that because he knows he's been battling against God even more so than against the people he's sinned against. So knowing the big picture of sin really, really helps. It's Sin is trying to strangle God's plans. But will it work? Well, let's move on in the story. And we're getting towards... Um, the climax here really so verses 29 to 36 let me read these most of these verses verse 29 so joseph's been sold off to these traders but when reuben returned to the system and saw that joseph was not there he tore his clothes he went back to his brothers and said the boy isn't there where can i turn now and they got joseph's robe slaughtered the goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to the father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. For Some ferocious animals had devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters who came to comfort him but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. So who's one here? No one. No one's one. Jacob's sin, you know, favouritism, but that promised him love, but what does it reap? His son's death, so he thinks. The brothers' sin, that promised them their father's love. But does it work? No. Jacob refused to be comforted by them. He said, go away, go away. And the irony, again, is that history is repeating itself because there's some similarity to a way in which Jacob himself deceived his own father. So for us, this is a really important lesson. And let me read this verse from a letter in the New Testament, Galatians 6-7. It says this, God cannot be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. You see, if you sow sin you don't reap good, you reap misery. And that's exactly what's happened here. They've sinned, and misery comes out of it. Have you ever been tempted to do something that you know is wrong, because you think it'll get you what you want? Now when someone goes behind your back in the office, do you get revenge on them and Want to feel a bit better through that? It's very easy. God says, don't do that. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. It will only bring misery. And then, what about the big picture? What's the big picture here? The brother's sin that promised to strangle God's plan has that worked? Well, for this, we need to notice the last verse. Just as Jacob is mourning his son. This, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guards. So Joseph has gone as a slave. He's ended up in Egypt, and he's been sold to someone else who just happens to be the captain of the guards for Pharaoh. And that's God's hidden hand at work there. See, this is actually the pivotal moments in God's plan. It's not a failure. This is for good. Because Joseph, as we're going to see in all the detail of it, and there's a lot of detail, he's going to rise to power in Egypt. And that last little verse there has set the stage for that. It reminds us God has not let go of him. And it's actually using him for his plans. And actually, if we look closely, we've seen it already. His hidden hand? You know, God handed Joseph his dreams. He handed him a passer-by to help find his brothers when they'd moved on. Is that just a coincidence? He'd handed him to slave traders. Again, he just happened to be passing by when he was in that system. Is that a coincidence? God's hidden hands. And Joseph would have had a lot of time to think and reflect about these things. Perhaps those coincidences, maybe they felt like a curse to him. Things have gone wrong because of that. But in the future they would become cause for thanks. He would. Even though you couldn't see it right there. So how about you? How about you? Do you do you need reassuring that God will not let sin strangle his good purposes? And it's very hard, isn't it? Because we don't see God's hidden hands. And you can't imagine, begin to imagine how your situation might turn out for good. It's very hard. And we can't sit now. And I wonder if there is something for you, something for you at the moment. And it, it is hard, and you're struggling with it. And it's, the Bible says, yeah, it's, it is a struggle. We don't see the God's hidden hand, but we do. Take encouragement here—that things do turn out in a way that is often we don't understand, is mysterious to us, but we can have a level of confidence in Him in that life is grim, sin is very real. What do we do with that? Well, we have—we have good news: is that we can understand sin for what it really is. And we have assurance that it won't win out. God is good. And our saviour is good. Jesus wrestled with these very same things in the Garden of Gethsemane. Waiting to go to his crucifixion. Jesus about to feel the full force of human sin. Of God's judgement against sin by dying on the cross. Feeling the full force of every family pattern of sin weighing down on him feeling the full force of humanity's battle against God. Yet he was able to keep going because he did the things that we couldn't do. He broke that pattern of sin by dying as an innocent man. Only he could carry out God's plan to defeat sin. And only he could repay our sin, not with misery, but with undeserved grace. And Joseph, Joseph couldn't know that, but we know that if we know lord jesus we have a good savior a savior in fact who knew the hidden hand of god so it's him that we trust so let's take a moment to pray to pray for god's help father we do want to praise you because you are god of the universe you made everything And you made us. Father, we are very sorry for the way that we wrong each other, maybe in all sorts of patterns, and maybe we understand it, maybe we don't. We're sorry, Lord. We do thank you that you open our eyes to how the world really is, you are real with us, and that you have not let your plans be defeated through Jesus Christ. You've made a way. You have brought your good purposes and we stand in your grace that comes through that, Father. So please help us. Help us especially if we are right there in that grim reality right now. To see something of your goodness here now. To trust you. Hold us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.